All right. <clears throat> I, want, I want Mason to include that. <laughs> <laughs> From Rixie, this is Frameform. Hello. It's another Wednesday. Welcome back to Frameform. And it's another music video episode. So I'm so stoked. Yeah. And we're back with another one because we can't get enough of music videos. But today we're going to be talking about specifically just one band and their music videos. And yeah, today it's all about OK Go. Last time we each... <laughs> brought forward a music video that we really loved and wanted to deep dive, but holy smokes, like we can go so in depth in those conversations that we decided the best option for this season would be to just pick a focus. And Hannah actually suggested OK Go because they are such an influential um, type of music video maker and their music videos certainly launched their fame and their career. Yeah, and furthermore, I feel that their music video career really launched the internet age and sort of like really forded the river, so to say, of people, and musicians particularly, starting to create work tailored for online consumption and distribution. 100%. And furthermore, like part of the web 2.0 internet age, beyond viewers just being consumers of media, it was part of that you uploading things to your page, YouTube generation, and a DIY aesthetic that I think is really inspiring for non-dancers to get involved in including movement in their visual language and making music also more accessible and visually represented. It actually kind of reminded me of your suggestion last year, Claire, the Daft Punk video around the world. Right. Yeah. Right. Because that's when you see choreography so clearly representing music mm-hmm. in a visual way. And I find that OK Go's videos are kind of an extension of that. Before we go entirely deep into this project as we are kind of like <laughs> wetting, wetting our little tippy toes into it. Um, I just want to know what you guys are watching recently these days. I know I've, I've been watching some stuff, some weird stuff, but uh, any, what about you two? I've been loving doing scenic drives uh, to clear my head and take a break from just (laughs) sitting at my computer and staring at a screen doing work. So I'm a big Audible fan and perhaps we should get an Audible sponsorship because I feel like every podcast I listen to is sponsored by Audible. Um, Anyways, one of the uh, recent listens, and I listen to like a lot of nonfiction topics, various topics, but one I recently listened to was called Make Time. And it was a whole bunch of strategies to streamline your schedule and kind of, you know, tweak all those sorts of things and your systems to hopefully, you know, as the title hints, make time so that you can enjoy more of your time to yourself. (laughs) very important Claire what have you been watching well I've been watching a lot of baseball and basketball lately Bay Area teams are doing things uh, continuing to push forward out of you know the doldrums of the 2020s or the start of the 2020s 
And just watching a lot of things I've been editing too. It's hilarious just thinking like last year was so dry as far as video work goes. And then this year, everything's just been coming back full force. So everyone was in shock and now everyone's ready. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's making dance films. That's basically the name of the game. Creative quarantine is now in full session or no, creative quarantine is now in production mode. Yes. <laughs> Don't you all feel like if you were in the screen dance or the dance film realm, you were way ahead of the curve on this stuff? Oh, yeah. Like I've, I'm finding everywhere I turn, people are coming around to it because all of a sudden there's this necessity for digital media. It's no longer this like elective choice and more than before i i think that the pressure's on it's not just to be your own media company in the social media sense it's like creative media and high quality media and it is really tough to stand out these days so when you know and you can trust someone to build something new that could be extremely valuable in today's market when Everything is online. Oh, yeah. Talk about YouTube, starting your own YouTube channel there. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we jump into a YouTube channel that has been around for a while, and that would be OKGo's channel. (laughs) What is a while, Hannah? Like, when did YouTube officially start? End of the 90s? 2005. Is it really 2005? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2005. Wow. Yeah, back in the day, just watching anything on that website, I think the first video I have ever watched was shoes. Oh, <laughs> oh my, my God, God shoes. shoes. These shoes rule. These shoes suck. <laughs> so I, I, it's funny because as someone who is consuming YouTube on a regular nowadays, like I think half of the of any consumption that I am taking in on a daily it's YouTube and then like every other you know streaming service out there but back then it's like you go on YouTube because of some weird viral sensation a cat video like that is where cat videos came from like that was one of the original viral sensations was cat videos on YouTube or even just how to do something Mm mm-hmm Bootleg shows of, you know, performances that you couldn't travel to see. Totally. Claire, did you do that? Never. (laughs) Well, and then the culture of, oh, I'm not going to watch it live on cable. I'm going to watch the replay or the highlights on YouTube. It completely shifted so much about consumer culture. And also in the way that we participated, all of a sudden you had comments. Reaction videos. Reaction videos. Yeah. So... I mean, this is what I really love about this show and talking with the two of you about this is that beyond looking at the videos themselves and like the aesthetics and the creative decisions and the behind the scenes trivia, I hope that today our conversation also talks about the cultural impact and the influence that it had because these things don't exist in a vacuum. And especially once we get into the internet age when people are so globally connected like never before, it's really important to address the importance that one silly treadmill video can have. Well, before the treadmill video, when we were planning for this episode, Claire brought up 
their first video that actually got pretty viral, A Million Ways. Um, Claire, you said you saw it on like E-Bombs World. Yeah, it was on E-Bombs World, like next to like a whole bunch of like really cruddy flash animation kind of things, like I, like sock monkeys and just random like MS Paint animations and stuff like that. And there was this band and it looked like it was, I mean, it kind of had the look of a snuff video, honestly, but it looked like it was just, you know, shot on the fly in someone's backyard. But I also remember that, you know, maybe a few months after the video had been circulating, like I saw OK Go actually performing the dance like on, I think I remember like on Mad TV or something like that and like other video shows. But I mean, Mad TV was kind of like one of those, like it was designed to be the West Coast SNL. And so like for a while, it was a point of pride for that. But yeah, with A Million Ways and both Here It Goes Again. I mean, Million Ways didn't start on YouTube, but it was featured on actually a website that they created, which was called a millionways.com. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like a place where people could like go there and like download it from the iTunes music store when everybody was doing that, as well as like exchanging it and like buy the next year when Here Goes Again was you know, planning its roots out, it already reached like um, 9 million views and downloads, which is crazy to think. So like, that's kind of like the start of viral sensation. Apparently like the video A Million Ways like wasn't supposed to be seen uh, or like wasn't supposed to be released as an official video, but it was kind of released in an email chain around friends. But then those friends started descending it to other people and then other people and then other people and it kind of snowballed. I think that's great. And I, but when we look at like Here It Goes Again and how it like kind of dominates over here, I mean, it dominates over a million ways. This both like Jen, you were saying like the DIY aesthetic, which honestly was like pretty much the only aesthetic for the internet back in the day. And I think what works for these two specific videos, which are, located in the show notes. Everything we're talking about today is on the show notes. These two videos by Trish C, which is actually um, Damien, the lead singer of the band, his sister, who is actually a like championship ballroom dancer. And then all of a sudden she's like, you know, I guess finding the right people that will do dancing with her. And it's funny to say that because you're just like, a band doing dance like you didn't really see that back in the day you know you saw when you think of rock music you're thinking of just like cool factor and like in a basement or like outside at a concert and this is like totally opposite these guys are not gonna pull that off that's the thing. <laughs> and that is why it works. When the vibe I get from this video, like especially this first one is I'm thinking, is this like the groomsmen and they're doing an engagement video <laughs> yeah, for the bride? It's like a flash mob. Yes. It it has that sort of, I mean, especially with the 2021 lens, you don't look at this and say, those look like the everyman or the every people. But at the time, it probably had the feeling of like, oh, these are just average dudes doing this um, silly dance that doesn't require technique or, you know, they, it's it's almost like if you calculate it and you just follow the steps logically, yeah, you can 
you can look like you can dance and we can arrange this dance. And I think this video, part of what contributes to virality in general is when you have a high degree of novelty. And so you have like the novelty of these guys don't look like they would be able to dance. You have the novelty of this is a DIY thing. It's not some fancy production, even though you get some wow factor. And then you have like this comedy and this goofy factor that I think makes it more shareable. When I think about the kind of links I share with family and friends, usually it's because something's so funny that I want to share it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that both A Million Ways and Here It Goes Again are brilliantly choreographed because, again, and we discussed this last year, the, you know, Trish knows who they're working with. Like they really create the, maximize the choreography so whoever's performing it can perform it well. And it is, again, like really taking notions of postmodern dance and like really, you know, emphasizing pedestrian movement and making that pedestrian movement intentional in a way that um, that really goes with, that makes it rhythmic and that makes it engaging. And yeah, it's hilarious that, um, and Jen, you're totally right as far as, you know, what if OK Go tried to go the other direction? Like what if they decided to pull off like a mid-2000s kind of thing? And Hannah kindly shared two videos that show that they like, I mean, I remember looking at those videos and thinking like, this is just like, you know, low rent Hoobastank imitators. Like this, yeah. like, this is not where they Shout out to Hoobastank. <laughs> <laughs> the reason is you. That's my garage band <laughs> hit. I mean, that's the song that slaps when I get on the microphone for garage band is the reason. <laughs> it's funny that they ended up changing that route because yeah, like their first, like their first album they went that MTV route. Whereas when, you know, it was like this whole change when they started this album with A Million Ways and Here It Goes Again. The, the One of the guitarists dropped out and they were like, actually going in this route. We're like, if you, we are finding a new guitarist, but like, if you join us, you have to dance. Like that was like in the contract with which, which I find is hilarious that they decided to just like change their image to go viral. And that was when they just shifted and not do things on MTV like the traditional route or, was to do and go into viral and then sticking with it. I mean, when you think of anything, okay, go, you think treadmills, you think of uh, experimental ways of moving, but also using the camera with it, which it works. And I mean, it, it definitely, as some articles have say, how they revolutionized the music video. I think a key part of people liking and sharing and enjoying these videos and making them popular is the fact that you can watch it and be like, oh, I get it. Sometimes, especially dance, can be so abstract for people that they don't know what the story is. They're just looking at bodies. They're just looking at moves. And I have to wonder if, and maybe this is just my cynicism, sorry, <laughs> but I have to wonder if there are any female or, you know, mixed gender, gender non-binary, you know, any other bands that, like, are using dance that aren't, 
I think especially if it was like a traditionally female group at the time, maybe they wouldn't have made the extra stretch to go, let's use our ideas and our creativity to show dance and music. So often we see dance being used for female pop stars to advance their popularity and their image, but it's very much about their image and their sexuality being sold. So here, what I really like is that you're seeing dance being used as a medium for ideas and for story and not to just, you know, exploit the physicality or the attractiveness of the performers. And it doesn't skirt the fact that the dance that they're doing is really hard. And at times it looks like they actually do have a hard time doing it. Like there are even moments in Here It Goes Again, like where like you can see that some some of the guys are looking down, making sure they hit a mark. There's, you know, some timing miscues. But that also adds to the appeal that this is like these aren't like super like superhuman bodies, like, you know, putting on these physical feats. These are people really trying to they have a goal. Anyone can see that goal and they're trying to hit that goal. And I think that that's part of that's also part of the appeal of these videos as well. I just imagine in some of these music videos that Trish is like standing in the front, kind of being that dance teacher in the wings and just doing the moves with them. Like, you got this. And it's like, if they forget, there's that moment of forgetting it, they just like pose with them. Uh, I mean, I do love that reveal of error in the work that they do. And they have, and none of them are actually trained dancers. I mean, it's all just... Trish C helping them out and making them look good and it's funny because I've looked so hard on the internet just to figure out like what got them to dance and it seemed like they were always dancing kind of people but never do they say that uh oh I I wanted to do this I mean they have ideas to make these videos happen in real life but I think they're just more just trying to get the message of connecting that whole aesthetic of why music videos were made in the first place is connecting image with idea with sound. And in their moving into dance, I in a way they became more legitimate dancers and choreography became a very important part of their identity as a group and their and their artistry. And by the time it's 2013, they're doing collaborations with Palabolus, which are a serious, it's a serious dance company. And they create these amazing visual distortions. I've actually seen them live and it's like exactly as you would imagine, but just even more mind blowing because it's happening right in front of you. And, you know, they go from being these silly dudes in, you know, vests and looking, as I said, like groomsmen to wearing unitards and being all in with this like under the ground camera and making all these weird distorted shapes like real professional movers and in the company of professional movers. Yeah, what's really interesting about and Palabolus and all his lost music video, I working with American Dance Festival, I've always had to do like the super cut for all the dance performances that are coming to play. And it's always uh, Palabolus as part of that big list. And so I've become a little bit familiar with their, mostly their super cut, but I am familiar with their music. Um, I mean, with their movement. And it's just funny to watch this in a different light before 
seeing it way back when, when the video just came out. But it's cool to see the elements of their movements, like in Shadowland in particular, comes into play with this music video because of all the shapes that they do. And like, because of the perspective, it's like, oh, you know, like we've done something like this when we, you know, put our bodies in this kind of way. Like you can see like the caterpillar and then playing around with like just all the words on screen there. But then taking it to that extra level of like the kaleidoscope idea, which I think is a great merriment between OK Go and Palabolus in their like thought processes of making art in general. It's just a great collision of like, how do we take one group that is really good at something and then the other group that's like, you know, popular versus, I mean, Palabolus is popular, but I would say like in the dance sphere, Palabolus is popular. So it's how do we collide the two to get maybe more people even interested? And I mean, that's the whole reason why I'm in this kind of field in the first place is doing that. So it's really cool to see that something like that actually happened. Absolutely. And I mean, it's hilarious watching that video, um, All is Lost now and sort of in the age of Zoom screens and seeing how many people, I mean, just thinking of that towel video where we had like the illusion of people falling and really, you know, playing with, as you said, like playing with perspective and playing with expectation of even when you've oriented yourself to a low angle like that or like to a below ground angle like that, like kind of seeing what still like what kind of surprises pop out like that but it's interesting thinking about the collaboration here and thinking about the areas that okay go comes from and thinking that they really did come from the music world and quite frankly to this day and maybe it's because i you know read way too much pitchfork in <laughs> my college days but they were not really a lauded band as musicians respect like I you know the music itself is very predictable it's very much I mean I could call it boilerplate alt rock but the fact is like they've really emerged as hybrid art artists and like the form they're creating really is an, like they're really an interdisciplinary group at this point and I think that it really serves them as well just you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if they conceive of the visual as when they come up with the music at this point and I think that the internet landscape's certainly better for that. You're so right, though. And I think that this is a great example of people's strengths really being in their intersection of talents. And that's part of why the three of us are here, as Hannah said. You know, it's something that, especially today, when there's so much exposure to so many amazing creative people, there's always going to be someone who's more skilled or more creative or better at any number of things that you look at, right? So I think that when we see an, a unique combination come together and there's a level of predictability and consistency, that can have a really high success rate with audiences, especially a popular audience when it's something that as we've described pretty well so far, I think has a really wide range. I mean, another audience that has enjoyed OK Go's music videos, and there's different articles about this that we've linked in the show notes, are teachers because you can show math and science principles visually. And I, as a teacher, you know, part of my getting into teaching was to focus on media. But I think even just 
teachers that are teaching any other subject, you know, that's a really fun day when, yay, we're going to watch a movie. Like it's, it's good to have these visual things to share, especially in a, in a COVID and post COVID classroom. So I wonder if okay go is going to continue to live on even more than other sort of dance video or music video projects simply because they have this practical application as well. I think the intersection, like you were saying, John, about like putting, I guess, like math or just any kind of educational uh, aspect into their stuff, which I think plays a huge huge factor into their later works i mean look going back to one of their music videos and love which it takes slow motion f- camera over the course of uh, t- 24 hours and they are dancing in it and they're also moving fairly slowly yet in the music video it's all time lapse exactly going on with the music which I think is definitely kind of like all right how long do we need to expand this song to get it to a point of it's going to sound normal or even look normal to the viewer and that's definitely you know you got to put some (laughs) plus minus division times PEMDAS kind of you know equation to plug that in and I think with that video in particular it works very well um I mean just trying to even come up with the movement for that and there's a lot of timing changes I mean within not even a whole minute in the beginning of the song you know massive credit to whoever had to cut that track to you know accommodate all those ideas like do we you know slow it down you know to five percent now we speed it up and then you know now we you know now it's hyperspeed and something like that let's yeah credit to whoever that sound engineer had to do that or even just organizing the amount of people like towards the very end of that video there's like a bunch of people in the park and they're walking in a circle and they're walking very slowly and they're the band itself is just like standing in the middle of it you know just trying to time that up to make it go with the music perfectly and it also choreograph a duck you know train like have <laughs> they have like a goose in the middle of the of the band that i don't think is just random i think that's an actual duck that they had to you know like hey you guys stand here and i mean you're just here to do that but i mean it, it's it's absurd and oddly absurd how they put this kind of choreography together in the span of 24 plus hours. Absolutely. And like the, the level of presence you have to have to maintain that and like the, well, it's not only the level of buy-in, but like the level, yeah, the level of presence you have to have to maintain that. And even like the presence that you have to have in your entire body to make that believable when it's sped up too. So that really does show that, the band and I mean, both as I guess musicians and visual artists at this point are really honed performers too. And that's, you know, that's quite, quite rare. Like unless you're the national singing like six hours straight at MoMA or whatever, no other band I can really think of would have that kind of presence sustained for that long. Well, and OK Go also has a clear visual and sonic identity as well. I feel like within a few seconds, you know, you're watching like once you've seen one video you can kind of 
sniff out the rest, like you have a sense of it. And I think that the fact that there is such an elevated level of commitment, of calculation, of choreography, of planning, we actually don't see as many impersonators. We don't Mm, see as many copycats because it's actually really hard to do. But I do think that as we are in this time where so many consumers are also creators and especially kids are growing up with it. Like I, part of why a lot of things are intuitive for me on a computer now is that I used to do them manually on like Microsoft paint and Microsoft office. And, you know, (laughs) like I used to code, right. So drag and drop's easy. Right. So it's whatever you grow up exposed to becomes second nature for you. And I feel like especially the level that the tricks we're seeing on a platform like TikTok and like the editing that's available on phone apps now, I think that we're going to see a lot more like this going forward, especially as people are trying to differentiate themselves. With viral hits, I mean, one thing that I consistently notice, including in the in OK Goes catalog, is synchronicity. There's a lot of symmetrical, um, you know, matching people doing the same thing or, you know, one, there's one group doing one thing and the other group doing the other. Why do you think that makes something that's viral in particular a success? There's this show on Netflix called Abstract, and I don't remember if it was Abstract or there was another show where it's something that it's talking about how the human brain is satisfied by aesthetic beauty and symmetry. And, you know, that show's not the only place that cites it, but that's just the first thing I thought of. And we'll link it in the show notes once I figure out what it is. But I think that it's just part of the the, the way we're wired as humans to watch something that has symmetry, that makes logical sense, even if we don't fully understand it or that has some predictability or just some cohesion that just puts us at ease and has, you know, it's satisfying. And then we can, it's almost like we did work, but you didn't really have to do the labor of it. And I think that the, you know, where the video lives also has to do, has a big part to do with that. Because in, with online videos, you can play them without sound. And with OK Go's videos, you can play them without sound and still get, you know, what, still get a lot out of the video. And it's sort of like what we were saying last year with the music videos episode, in that the video really is a great visual representation of what is being played or whatever, whatever sound is being played. And you can still get a good idea of that through watching it without the sound. As they say, or as we were saying, okay, go as hybrid artists, which it gives it a slight (laughs) failed musicians, (laughs) not (laughs) stop thinking that it's like slight negative connotation, but hybrid (laughs) artists, hybrid artists. (laughs) I mean, they are thinking about the frame, which I mean, as you know, as we all are editors and dancers and everything else, or we could call ourselves hybrid artists. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it really is hard to kind of fill the space and figure out how to make the frame 
as I even move my hands, you know, how we can make that entertaining, you know, even with all of the flashiness. I mean, all of their music videos have used color and just, you know, how do we even fill the frame with color? And with the beginning two videos with A Million Ways and Here It Goes Again, I mean, that's during also the time of like the hipster aesthetic and a lot of mumblecore was coming out, including, um, you know, Juno was, you know, even the precursor of that, even making it into theater, bigger theaters. But just even like using that as a trend, you know, that that style was you know, even adding more to the quirkiness of what indie cinema was as well. And I mean, we could also say and love too with like the height of uh, American Apparel, basically with its, you know, the iconic sweatshirts. I mean, it, it, it goes down to the clothing, their costumes too, of just playing into that. I mean, Palabolus, we can just say that's even, even just their costumes is considered Palabolus. Their costumes look like they're from the 60s from like a Merce Cunningham I mean, piece. <laughs> if you watch the behind the scenes work where they're like kind of experimenting, like the first video is actually like the Palabolus dancers wearing like their normal like spandex, barely nothing attire. So like, I mean, we couldn't do that for an OK video, OK Go music video because usually Palabolus is just like butt naked um which you know that wouldn't work very well though just basically um you know playing around with like the merriment of two groups trying to figure out how do we make something uh let's say making palabolus more friendly <laughs> to audiences um outside of you know high art dance we could say actually correct me if i'm wrong uh was that the Palabas video originally an interactive video? It was. Yes. So that was uh I mean, I don't know much about HTML5, but I I mean it's not I wish that the site actually still existed because when I was doing my research, I was trying to find it so I can actually interact. And that was also a big thing for that time, even with independent film as well, trying to figure out how do we, you know, give the viewer a choice to decide what is next, you know? I feel like there's been so many different branches when it comes to interactive media. Like you have your VR, you have your AR, you have like your click around 360 videos. And it's almost as if people go down that lane and try to create a project and then it doesn't take off. And then everyone just kind of does like a two-point turn, <laughs> goes in the other direction. And it's like, oh, no, 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 we're just going to keep making like normal videos again. So sometimes when you choose to try this novel or this new technology, it ends up really dating your project and actually rendering it like people unable to actually watch it in that format. It's cool, but it's not always the most it might freeze you in time. So that if that's something you want to do, great. If that's not what you're going for, pick a more timeless medium. One of my favorite quotes with regards to new media is assume what you're using is already obsolete and then use it. And yeah, it's sad because like I do remember a lot of interactive projects from the you know late 2000s, early 2010s that I just can't straight can't find anymore. Like 
I was just thinking about that Arcade Fire video that was the, you know, the interactive video that had you like write your name on a wall kind of thing. And I thought like, this is actually like a piece of a very recent piece of digital media history that's now lost to the internet ether. Now, as we've looked at these films and now we're talking about like aged media and all of that, would we say that these films could be timeless or not timeless? Because they're all very different. I mean, I think OK goes all of their music videos are very different and sometimes are playing with technology at that time. But would you say that these are uh, long lasting timeless videos or they are videos that, you know, are getting a little stale? I think they demonstrate some timeless principles and some ideas going back to like the math and the science and just visually showing music but aesthetically they are so dated and I think that is to to me and I think that is part of what makes them so iconic as well is like if you want to if you want to time travel to the early 2000s watch these videos because the fashion is there one of my favorite professors of all time uh, the late Dr. Mark Harris he said that movies say more about the time in which they were made than the time in which they're set. And these are set whenever, right? They're not trying to be set in any particular time, but they really do look like a time capsule, not just of visually what outfits looked like at that time or what camera technology yielded at that time visually, but also what internet culture rewarded and propelled forward because I do think that they're – as hybrid artists, they really did follow was successful for them. And I think that's why we'll still be talking about them years from now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the more, honestly, the more low budget their videos are, I think the more timeless they are as well. And I mean, there's such an endearing quality about, you know, just picking up regular household items or like just getting together with friends and just making something. And I think that just that idea in its of itself is a timeless one. Well, I sure love getting together every Wednesday and making this frame form show with you two. So timeless. Same here. <laughs> timeless. <laughs> well, friends, okay, go along to the show notes to check out all oh. this wealthy oh. information. Hannah. <laughs> That we have given you to take a look at that. But other than (laughs) that. Okay. (laughs) Go. (laughs) We're going to okay go along out of here. And we will (laughs) see y'all next week. Here are a few announcements this week. The movie Tanz Film Festival that normally takes place in Cologne, Germany, will take place online this year between Friday, July 23rd through the 25th. We also have a deadline for the Leeds International Film Festival. The Academy Award qualifying event hosts the Leeds Screen Dance Competition. The regular deadline for this is Saturday, July 31st. Details for all events are linked in the show notes. Thank you. 
So remember episode one, we did our location episode on warehouses. We did an audience poll that week as well to decide if we were going to talk about a water location or a desert location. So next week, you'll find out what you voted on and what we discussed. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. Mix and theme song by myself, Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.